The song applies to the text this morning, so if you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the book of Psalms, chapter 56. Book of Psalms, chapter 56, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. In the song, it says, I will rest in the Father's hand and leave the rest in the Father's hands. That connects what we're going to see David talking about in this psalm. Book of Psalms, chapter 56. We'll begin reading with verse 1. While you're turning there, and if you, uh, after the service, Hank is going to give you some more information, but this coming Wednesday night is a very important night in our church uh, because this coming Wednesday night at 6 o'clock during our business meeting, uh, you will be electing your pastor search committee. Uh, last week, we had the nominations, 15 nominations, n- nominees, and from that list, you'll get to select five from that list. So please, please, please hear me. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Please come Wednesday night. Now, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's very historic. Uh, this church has only had two pastors in, you know, in 49 years, so that, that's important. So this, you're being part of history. But there's a practical reason. As I said in the, uh, a few weeks ago, your prospective pastor, if he's smart, and he, he will be because your committee wants to get somebody different And it, it will be a sharp committee. I'm going to look at that, that list. But that person is going to really ask some questions. And I, I teach pastors to, how to ask questions of pulpit committees. And one of the questions is, tell me your process. How did this committee get formed? That tells me if there is a system. Did you follow the system? Did you make up the system? Is the system fair to the church? Is the system unfair to the church? Is it just geared to one group or not another group? That's a question I would ask. The second question, how many people voted for the search committee? That tells me about the involvement. And so we're a church of 3,400 people, and if only 150 people vote, and you tell a prospective pastor, well, you know, we got 3,400 people, 150 people voted for this committee. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. That's a red flag. That tells me you're not interested in the next pastor. You have no, no, you're not, you don't care. Now, there may be another reason. I can come up with another reason, but that's what they're going to think. So please be here. Here's how it's going to work. Six o'clock Wednesday night in here, we'll start the business meeting. We'll do it at the very beginning. So the choir, orchestra, Bible groups, youth will all come in here. Six o'clock, we'll vote. Uh, Then after appropriate time, if you need to go back to your Bible study, orchestra, uh, uh, choir, youth group, whatever it may be, you can but we want to have as many people as possible here Wednesday night to vote, okay? That's this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. So what time? What night? Perfect. You're without excuse. Okay. Book of Psalms, chapter 56. Listen to David as he talks about his situation. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long they distort my words and their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps and they have waited to take my life because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? 
And then my enemies will turn back in that day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thanks offering to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Indeed, my feet from stumbling. So that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Pray with me. Our Father, we pray today that you'll take your word. And Father, you will embed it into our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've told the story before when I was growing up. I collected comic books because I'm an intellectual. And when you collect comic books, you find your favorite character. And my favorite character was Batman. Uh, there, there have been times I wanted to be Superman, but my favorite character is Batman. But there was another character I really enjoyed. Kind of an obscure character back in the day. Marvel Comics invented him in 1964. They say he was the alternate to Batman in the Marvel Comics. His name was Matt Murdock. And Matt Murdock was blinded as a child from radioactive material, but because of the radioactive material, his remaining senses became beyond normal range. In fact, it gave him a radar sense, and, and he became Daredevil. Now, here's the thing about Daredevil. I love the tagline. That's what caught my attention the man without fear. I thought that was awesome. Wouldn't it be great if you could have no fear? And as a child, that really caught our attention. But be honest, that's, that's kind of cool even for adults. If we could have no fear. Because let's face it, we all struggle with fear. Now, some people struggle with severe fear. They call phobias. That's ex- excessive fear and anxiety related to a specific subject. For example, about 500 different phobias. Uh, For example, claustrophobia. That's fear of closed spaces. I'm close to that. Uh, I've told you before, me me and MRIs don't don't work well, okay? Uh, Some people have acrophobia. That's fear of heights. I don't have that. I mean, I've been hang gliding. I've been rappelling. Grand Canyon, I got on the very edge, looked down. I love heights, so that's not me. Acrophobia, fear of water. Uh, years ago in another church, we had someone who had acrophobia, and, and so we had to prepare them for baptism. It took a long time. If you, imagine, if you are afraid of water, baptism is your greatest fear. It took us a while to train the person to get over their fear of water. Uh, glossophobia, that's the fear of speaking in public, probably the number one fear in, in, in the world. But there are some others. Olfactophobia, this is the fear of bad smells. And every husband thinks his wife has this, okay? Chorophobia, the fear of clowns. Actually, I know someone with this, this fear. It's not just Pennywise. I'm talking about this is a fear of any clown. I'm going to try to say this one. Omphalophobia. This is the fear of belly buttons. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I just had to say that, Okay. Then there's phobophobia. This is the fear of fear. And then there's the phi-fi-phobia, the fear of giants. Okay, I made that one up. Okay. Man, y'all writing that? No, that's fear of phobia. No. Those are excessive fears. Those are the phobias. 
There's a difference between phobia and fears. This morning, I'm not talking about phobias. I'm talking about fear. Fear is that agitation, that anxiety in the presence of what you consider some type of danger. And fear, if you're not careful, it can hurt your walk with God. It shows up in so many different ways. It shows up, for example, the fear of doing what God wants you to do. You're afraid you can't do it. Or the fear causes greed and hoarding of wealth because you are afraid God's not going to take care of your issues in the future, your finances issues. The fear of evangelism. All of a sudden, you're afraid of persecution or you're afraid of rejection. The fear to confront people in sin because you're afraid you might lose their relationship. There are many types of fears that will hurt us in our Christian walk. And there are other types of fears that if you're not careful, it will hurt your Christian walk. The fear of death, the fear of persecution, the fear of rejection, the fear of suffering, the fear of change. All these, if you're not careful, it will hurt your Christian walk. Fear can and will affect you. Now, here's what's interesting. Do you know what the most common command in the Bible is? Now, you would have assumed it would be, be holy. No. You, you would assume it would be love one another. No. You, you would assume, well, maybe it's giving money to the church. No. The number one command in the Bible, fear not. Fear not. 366 times in the word of God, God tells us not to fear. The first words of the angels when Jesus arose from the dead, don't be afraid. The first words of Jesus after he rose from the dead, be not afraid. The first words the disciples heard as a group when Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection, don't be afraid. Over and over and over again in the word of God, you see God telling us not to be afraid. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, don't be afraid of people, men. Luke chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12, he says, don't be afraid of the government or people in authority. Isaiah chapter 35 says, don't be afraid of the future. Jeremiah chapter 10 says, don't be afraid of false gods. Luke chapter 5 tells us not to be afraid of ministry. Uh, Luke, uh, Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 says, don't be afraid of suffering. Over and over and over, God tells us, don't be afraid. God doesn't want us to fear. With that in mind, I want you to look at the text this morning. In this text, we find David talking to God. And he's writing about fear. Now, let me give you the background to this, this psalm. David is going to be the future king. God has already told David, you're the king. But at this moment, Saul is the king. David is supposed to be the king. Saul is the king now. So Saul wants to kill David. He knows he's going to take my throne, so I will kill him. So Saul's army is out looking for David. They're trying to find David in order to kill him. That is the context of this psalm. And David is admitting in verses 1 through 7 his fears. He's talking about, Lord, I'm scared. And he's admitting his enemies are against him. That verse 2, he said, they're out to get me. They're out to kill me. And in this psalm, David is discussing, admitting his fears. And then he comes to the key verse. In verse 3, he says, when I am afraid, not if, when I'm afraid... I will put my trust in you. God, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. The key to combating fear is trusting God. 
we need to learn how to handle our fears. I'm not even saying conquer your fears. I think we need to handle our fears. Why? Because fear chokes us. When you have fear, it strangles you like a boa constrictor to the point you can't even function. Jesus told a parable once about a man who went on a journey and gave his servants some money. One of the servants buried the money in the ground. The master comes back and said, why did you do this? Why did you bury the money? Why didn't you put it in the bank and at least collect interest for me? And the man said, because I was scared. That's what fear will do. It will choke you. You're afraid of success. You're afraid of failure. When the Wright brothers were trying to invent the flying machine, their number one competitor was Samuel Pierpont Langley. Now, he worked for the government, and he had government funds. So he had all the resources you could imagine to create this flying machine. The problem was Langley was afraid. He wasn't afraid of failures as much. He was afraid that he's going to mess up and everyone would know about it. He was afraid millions of people would know his failures. And so what he would do, because of fear, he overanalyzed everything. He had all the money coming in, but he overanalyzed everything because he didn't want to fail. He didn't want to fail, and therefore, it delayed a lot of his trials. The Wright brothers didn't care. They didn't care if they failed because they said they believed that Henry Ford statement that said failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. And they didn't care if they failed. And therefore, the Wright brothers invented the flying machine. First, because they did not let fear choke them. Satan will use fear to choke you in doing God's work. But not only will it choke you, fear will control you. It will control you. If you let fear get in your mind, all of a sudden, that's all you're thinking about. You start thinking about that fear day and night. You start thinking about the results of things that had never even happened yet. What happens? For some people, fear will control them because they've got to be perfect. It controls them. They've got to be perfect. They keep working, make it perfect, make it perfect, make it perfect. Some people, it controls them. They just settle. They'll think, well, my life is never going to get better than this. I'll never get a better job. I'll just stay here. Well, no one's ever going to love me. I'll marry the first person to ask me. I'll date the first person I see. Some people fear use as an escape. I mean, but it controls them. So they escape to drugs or alcohol or pornography, whatever. Just get away from fear. It will control you and dominate you. It's unhealthy. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Father. Fear will choke you. It will uh, will control you, but also fear will cripple you. Fear fear will cripple you. You can get to the point of fear that you don't do anything. Fear is that monster that becomes your master. And all of a sudden, you're afraid to move forward. You know, there are a lot of churches that have this fear. They're afraid of the economy. They're afraid of change. And so they do nothing. And while they're doing nothing, they're declining. And they just shrug and they say, well, the lack of growth. Well, I guess Satan's just attacking us. No, you're not working. You're afraid. We need to understand how to handle our fear. And David tells us in verse 3, if you want to handle your fear, you need to trust God. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. 
David admitted he was afraid. God, I'm scared, but I'm going to trust you. He goes on and says it again. I'm going to trust you. I love comparing this verse to to a verse in, in Isaiah chapter 12. It says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. I love putting those two together because if you are afraid, you put your trust in God. But if you put your trust in God, you won't be afraid. That's how you handle your fears. So David writes in Psalm 34, I sought the Lord, he answered, and he delivered me from all my fears. So, how do you handle your fears? Well, I've already told you, you trust in God. Therefore, the question we need to ask and answer, how do we trust God? How do we trust God? David tells us in this chapter. First of all, to trust God, you need to accept God's love for you. You need to accept God's love for you. This is the key step in trusting God. This is the starting point. If you don't realize that God loves you, you're not going to trust God at all. I mean, John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So the Bible says the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. Love and fear cannot operate in the same place. You're either going to love or you're going to fear. You cannot do both at the same time. If you trust God and accept his love, fear cannot exist because that love of God is going to overshadow the fear. We need to learn to accept God's love because here's what's going to happen. If you don't trust God's love, there is a a great cavern in your heart that something is going to be put there and probably it's going to be fear. So the first step to trusting God is to accept God's love for you. And all through the Bible, God tells us. From Genesis to Revelation, God tells us how much he loves us. He gives us many different imagery, and I'll give you two two this morning, two images that God gives to us to show how much he loves us. The first image is like a mother caring for her hurting child. That's an image God gives to us. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. Listen to what he says. God says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of a nation like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arms and dandled on her knee as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. Now, God is our heavenly father, but God says, I want you to know, sometimes I will relate to you as a mother to her child. And there's this incredible connection between mothers and babies. In Jerusalem, the University of Hebrew University, a psychologist did an experiment to understand this connection. They, the mothers didn't know they were going to do the experiment to write before. They, they took 46 mothers who had given birth in the previous 5 to 70 hours before they did the experiment. And so they came into the room. They said, we want to, would you participate in this experiment? They said, yeah. So they blindfolded the mothers, and they had three sleeping babies. And they asked, which one is yours? Now, what's amazing, over 70% of the mothers pick their child. They've, only, they've just born, but something innate showed them, the child. There's a mystery between the, a mother and her baby is profound. That, imagine that compared to God's connection to us, how much God loves for us. As much as a mother loves her child, God loves us even more. 
Another image the Bible gives of God is, is a hand covering her chicks. And maybe of, of all God's creatures, the hand is maybe in the most protective of the young. Whenever a hawk flies over, uh, you know, the, 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 the hen will cluck and the, ch- the chick will come under her wings. And the Bible says in Psalm 91, he will, God will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. As Jesus was on his way to the crucifixion, he looked at Jerusalem, looking at this incredible city, and he began to cry, thinking of all the prophets that had been killed. And he said in Luke chapter 13, how often I have longed to gather you as children together as a hen gather her chicks under her wings, but you're not willing. There are cases where a hen dies protecting the chicks under the wings. God loves us. And you need to accept God's love. Secondly, to trust God, you need to accept God's power for your life. You need to accept God's power for your life. I mean, that's what David is saying here. I mean, look at verse 4. He said, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Look down at verse 11. He says it again. In God I put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Do you hear what David is saying? David is saying, I understand the power of God. I accept God's power. And if I have God's power, what can people do to me? David is contrasting his greatest enemies, and he's contrasting that with God. And he says, I look at this. There is no comparison. He said, God, you're going to deliver me, and by your power, I'm not going to be afraid of these men, because what can they do to me? By accepting his love and accepting his power, now David can handle his fear. And when you accept God's love through Jesus, what happens, you receive his power. Please understand, what I'm talking about this morning is a supernatural power in your life. What kind of power? Well, first of all, the power to fight fear. God gives us the power to fight fear. Again, John says in 1 John, he who is greater in you than he in the world. We have this power to fight fear. And so if God is our heavenly father above and Jesus is our friend beside us and the Holy Spirit is within us, why should we be afraid of anything or anyone? So we have the power to fight fear, but also we have the power to face fear. Again, because of Christ in your life, you can face fear. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. He says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Timothy, here's Paul. He's in prison. He said, let me tell you something. I can face anything because God's going to be with me. I don't care what comes my way. God's power is going to be with me. I can face it. But also, he gives us the power to forget fear. You say, well, what? Through Christ, we have the power to forget fear. How does that work? The moment you put your faith in Christ, once you accept the love of Christ, once you accept the power of Christ, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing the perspective of God. When you start seeing things through the perspective of God, you'll forget your fear. When you start focusing on your fear, you forget God. You start focusing on God and his power, you forget your fear. God gives to us this power to forget fear. 
Third, third way to trust God, accept God's care. Accept God's care. You, you see, you can accept God's love, but you may not accept his care. You may mentally accept God's love that he loves me, but then you don't accept him taking care of you. Look at verse 8. David said, you have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Do you know what he's talking about there? Archaeologists have discovered in the ancient world these small vials, very small, made of glass, meantime, kind of ornate. The top is shaped like a trumpet. They were used to collect tears. In the ancient world, if you were hurting or you were grieving, they, collected, they would collect their tears as a memorial to that person or to that event. As a reminder, they got through it. David is saying, God, you collect my tears. You know everything about me. You collect my tears. You preserve my tears as a memorial of the trials and tribulations I'm going through. Lord, you collect those tears. You put those tears in your bottle. Why? Because, God, you will remember me. You see, God has made a covenant with us. He made a solemn promise. We come to him, he will take care of us. And David says, take my tears. Hold on to my tears. Remember me. Care for me. Early in the service, we heard the verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That, that verse is a, a powerful verse. In the Greek, it means to, to continue on caring. This, this is what it really says. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he always, every day, in every way, at every moment, is caring for you. That's a powerful verse. From the time you're born to the time you die, every moment in between, God cares for you. That is why you are to cast your cares upon him. That is why you should cast your fears upon him. You need to cast your cares. You know, the Bible says we're not to fear. But the Bible does say there's one thing we to fear. There's only one type of fear the Bible justifies. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body and are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to both destroy the soul and body in hell. He's not talking about Satan. He's talking about God the Father. Only God has the power to take our lives. Only God the Father has the power to send us to hell. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see what he's saying? I I love what one preacher said. One preacher said it this way. The only God-ordained fear is the fear of God. And if we fear him, we don't have to fear anyone or anyone else. When you fear God... You won't fear anything else. Some of you may have heard of the flying Walendas. They've been around for generations, actually for 200 years. They perform daring stunts, usually walking across a tightrope, a high wire. In 1940, Carl created an event called the Seven-Person Pyramid. It went well until 1962 when the pyramid collapsed. They fell. Two people were killed. One was paralyzed from the waist down. 1978, Carlo Walenda himself fell in Puerto Rico and died. His great-grandson's Nick. Nick wanted to follow this tradition of following the Walendas for 200 years, for seven generations. 
Even by the time he started walking, he was learning how to walk on a wire. Nick has been incredible. Many of you have heard of him, probably even seen him on TV specials. He has 11 Guinness World's Record of death-defying feet. He has walked in every state of the United States. Millions of people have watched him live when he's performed. For example, he walked across the Grand Canyon without a net, Niagara Falls without a net. He walked blindfolded across the two towers in, in Chicago. I mean, imagine this. But in 2007, he decided he wanted to top his great-great-grandfather and had eight people pyramid. In 2017, it collapsed and they fell. No one died, but some were seriously injured. And for the very first time, Nick was scared. He didn't know if he could ever walk the tightrope again. How could he overcome his fear? In his book, talking about how to overcome your fears, he, he said he realized there were two types of fears. He said there are the healthy fears and the unhealthy fears. He said the unhealthy fears, for example, is what he was experiencing now, returning back to the act, because he couldn't do it. But he said, then I realized I've always had healthy fears. This is what he writes. When I walk to the edge of the, sky, the sky, skyscraper or the volcano, it is not as though I fear, I am fear-free. But I take that fear and I turn it into what I call respect. I realize that there are dangers, that the volcano is hot, there are heavy gases, heavy winds, and the wire can be unstable, and the oxygen level are low. But because of healthy fear, I train to prepare for the worst-case scenarios. I train in 90 miles, uh, 90 miles an hour winds, knowing that they will never exceed more than 45. I train without oxygen. I train with my eyes closed. I prepare. He said, I realized there was unhealthy fear I needed to overcome, and the only way I could overcome the unhealthy fear was to embrace the healthy fear. If I can embrace the healthy fear, I can overcome the unhealthy fear. Spiritually, that's what God tells us to do. We take the healthy fear, the fear of God, and we take that fear, he takes away all the unhealthy fears. But you've got to have fear in God. The moment you recognize and realize that God is sovereign, he's majestic. He loved you so much he sent his son to die for you. Once you understand that and accept him, now you can conquer and handle your fears. But it begins with giving your life to Christ. And maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Today's the day. Maybe that's what you're scared about. Do you realize God will even help you do this? God will give you the momentum to give your life. By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I give him everything I confess. If you're watching online, if you'd like to give your life to Christ, if, if you text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. But if you're here this morning, will you give your life to Christ? Will you overcome your fear by saying, God, will you help me make this decision? Help me make this first step, and then follow through. Would you stand by your heads? Father, you have said it so clearly in your word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Father, this fear of this respect and being all of you. Realizing, Father, you have all power. Realizing, Father, that you are always with us. Father, when we have that kind of fear of you, the fear of this majestic, awesome, 
all-powerful God living within us. What should we fear? We can't fear the future because you're in control. Father, we can't fear the present because you're in control. Father, we can't fear the past because it's already gone and you've already forgiven us. Father, for those here this morning in person or watching online who have never experienced the supernatural power of Christ's presence in their life, let today be the day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.